Welcome to the Days Gone By podcast. My name is Jamison Stewart. In today's episode of the Days Gone By podcast, we have a sermon about loneliness. This sermon is preached by Tom Holland. He preached this sermon back in 2008 in a gospel meeting at the West Hobbs Street Church of Christ in Athens, Alabama. I think you will appreciate uh, his sermon on loneliness. There are several reasons why I am both happy and very honored to be here. And I'll hold those for the next session when everyone's together. If you don't need what I'm going to be talking about right now, I just beg you, hold it in your mind and keep it close to your heart. Because if you continue to live on this earth, one day you will experience loneliness. It is a national phenomenon that in America, where we have so many luxuries, so many things to give us a type of quality of existence, there's so many lonely people. This was the observation of George Gallup, of the famous Gallup poll organization. I'll just read from him. Americans are perhaps the loneliest people on earth today. And then the Barnard Research Institute says, a large portion of adults describe themselves as feeling all alone or lonely. Of course, when we are alone, we just don't have companionship. When we are lonely, we not only do not have companionship, but we desire companionship. And there are so many people that are experiencing this. So many young people that are experiencing loneliness. So many people that are trying to cope in, in dangerous ways with this consistent problem. What we're going to be doing in this presentation is observing something that God himself observed. And loneliness is really a type of apologetic. A lot of folks may not appreciate that, but I think you will appreciate it when we get into it. And then once we have looked at God's observation, which currently is being demonstrated in so many ways, we will notice in the next place the fundamental explanation of real loneliness. And then after that, we're going to look at how it's illustrated in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going down to an explanation of the way you and I can cope with this ongoing challenge of loneliness. The reasons people are lonely are usually revealed in the songs we sing. Take that old song, Where No One Stands Alone. And there's a line that says, Like a king I may live in a palace so tall, with great riches to call my own, but I don't know a thing in the whole wide world that's worse than being alone. I've known a few wealthy people, and I've known some wealthy people that were very lonely. 
people. Another reason sometimes we are lonely is expressed in the old song, Tempted and Tried. Remember the line that says, When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves us so lonely and drear. Haven't you been there? Haven't most of us sometime been right there? And then we sing that song, Tarry with me, O my Savior. And we keep repeating it in the refrain, For I am lonely here without thee. And I think about Brother Sanderson's song, When I must weep amid the fires of pain, and the loneliness that I may experience when I'm looking death straight in the face. It's interesting to me that even out in the, shall we say, secular realm, they sing about loneliness. There was once a rather popular singer, Roy Orbison, uh, who had that song about how lonely he was. Only the lonely know the way I feel tonight. And then the entertainer they called the king had one that says, Are you lonely tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart? So you just look, look in the songs we sing. And since I started studying this matter, I've been impressed with how many of the songs that we sing in worship that have to do with loneliness. Now, I'm not real sure that there's a lot out in the secular realm about it because I don't even hear words anymore. All I hear is just noise, a lot of loud noise. So maybe, maybe they still sing about it. If not, it may be that they're trying to cope with loneliness by just bombarding themselves with music that is so loud that there will be any number of folks in the hearing aid business that will be doing quite a landslide business in a very few years. That's just an incidental observation. Now here's the first thing, God's observation. We'll go back to the book of Genesis. And those of us who believe the Bible know that this is an accurate account of how everything began, including people. And, and when you start reading Genesis 1, six times you will read God saying, or he saw, it was good. You know, God would create something and then he would say, it's good. Or God saw that it was good. Six times. And then you come down to the last verse, and God saw his creation was very good. Good, very good. Then you get into chapter 2 and verse 18. And God saw that it was not good. Everything had been so good, and then God saw it was not good. What was not good? That man should be alone. He had created Adam, made a body out of the elements of the earth, breathed into Adam the breath of life. He became a living being, a living soul. And in all of God's creation, there was nothing, there was no one that could complement man, that could fulfill him, that would be a help that was suitable to him. So here were all of these creatures that God had created, but among all of his creatures, none that could really complement man. So in his infinite wisdom, God became a surgeon. 
became the first anesthesiologist. Put Adam to sleep, took a rib, and made one that would fulfill man. No longer would he be lonely. Made a woman. Now, as I mentioned, this is a type of apologetic. For God to say it's not good that man should be alone. Now, to give you an example of what I'm talking about, I want to read a statement that appeared in the AARP Bulletin October 2007. Being lonely takes a toll on the body that seems to accelerate with age. University of Chicago researchers reported in August Current Directions in Psychological Science that in their study of college students and of adults ages 50 to 68, loneliness had little effect on the health of the younger subjects. But the older people compared with their more social peers had higher blood pressure, lower levels of good cholesterol, and higher levels of the fight or flight hormone. The paper adds to a growing evidence linking social isolation to problems dealing with stress, poor sleep, weak immunity, heart disease, Alzheimer's, and suicide. And this is according to a researcher by the name of Sheldon Cohen, a psychologist at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. He says there are roughly 20 large-scale studies now, and they all show that the more socially integrated you are, the longer you live. See the apologetic? God said in the beginning, it's not good that man should be alone. Here we are in the 21st century, and these people are saying it's not good that man should be alone. And this is not quite the end of it. Dr. James Lynch, a special or a specialist in psychosomatic diseases at the University of Maryland, wrote a book, The Broken Heart, The Medical Consequences of Loneliness. And uh, he says, and I'm quoting from him, almost every segment of our society seems to be deeply afflicted by one of the major diseases of our age, human loneliness. The price we are paying for our failure to understand our biological needs for love and human companionship may be ultimately exacted in our own hearts and blood vessels. God saw it's not good that man should be alone. And yet there's so many people who feel lonely. They, they desire companionship. Now one of the ironies is that so many Married people feel lonely. Tim Timmons wrote a book, Loneliness is a Disease, in which he said, Once a philosophical problem contemplated by poets and prophets, loneliness is now a universal condition for millions of Americans, not only for the elderly and divorced, but also for the men and women filled with the ache of loneliness within their marriages. It is fast becoming an American tradition. Dennis Rainey wrote a book, Lonely Husbands and Lonely Wives, in which he observed, when you're excluded, you have a feeling of distance, a lack of closeness and real intimacy. 
You can share a bed, eat at the same dinner table, watch the same TV, share the same checking account, parent the same children, and still be alone. He says, you may talk, but you do not communicate. You may live together, but you don't share life with one another. If there's one thing worse than a miserable, lonely single, it's a miserable, lonely married person. The irony is that no two people marry with any intention of being isolated from each other. Most of them feel that marriage is the cure for loneliness. The phrase, lonely husbands and lonely wives, would for them contradict what they think marriage is all about. Preachers sometimes feel very lonely. Demands that are made upon them, demands that are made upon their families. And, and sometimes people just do not understand some of the burdens that preachers have to bear. Preachers' wives are sometimes lonely because so many demands are made for the time of their husband that sometimes they feel somewhat neglected or abandoned. Elderly people in nursing homes sometimes feel very, very lonely. Sometimes people who, because of the death of a spouse, are having to try to adjust to a new type of life, sometimes feel very, very lonely. It just goes on and on. And the point is, God saw in the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. He not only saw that, but he did something about it. And that's what we're going to be urging all of us to do anytime that we experience loneliness. We're not going to urge anyone just to accept the status quo, but try to do something about it. And I'll give you some practical ways from the Word of God that this can be done. But now in the second place, I want us to take a deep look into, I'm talking about the fundamental reason why there's so many lonely people. America at one time was known, and, and however inappropriate the identification, it was nonetheless known as a Christian nation. Some of us who are older remember that particular time. A lot of things have changed about this good land, and not all of them are for good. I was down in South Mississippi uh, lecturing yesterday uh, at a college, Magnolia Bible College, and one of the fellows from that part of the country said, you know, today down at Millsaps College, the atheists are meeting to discuss the new atheism. Well, I'm aware of the new atheism, and the new atheism is that religion is the real problem of humanity and has been for centuries. That's the approach that the atheists are basically taking now. Uh, you'll find it in Sam Harris's little book, Letter to a Christian Nation, and Richard Dawkins, and The God Delusion, and some of those fellows. But you, you go back to the time when, um, when there was generally a respect for at least God's reality. However, people may not have responded to God, at least there was a recognition that there is a God in heaven. 
Now, the fundamental reason for loneliness is people who are separated from God or, to use the identification from the French mathematician philosopher Pascal, every human being has a God hole in the heart. And, and that can only be filled with a right relationship with God. If we had time just to explore various ways that people are trying to fill the God hole, and one way is in the fastest growing religion in America, and that's sports. And I cannot get on that subject because where I'm preaching, it is really challenging the attendance of some of our very members. They now have Sunday ball games for little girls up in our part of the country. And one brother whose little girl is involved in it, and so sometimes on Sunday morning she's playing softball. Little, little girl, probably fifth, sixth grader. He told me not long ago, said, you know, this came out of California. <laughs> a lot of things have come out of California. And I wish they would send that one back to California. But that's just a personal opinion. As I mentioned to Bill, I saw a sad sight when, when I drove in this morning right down the street here. All those people out playing ball that should be in a period of Bible study and getting ready to worship God. But be that as it may. Now here, here's the fundamental problem. The old prophet Isaiah identified it and explained it verbally very clearly. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 explains the fundamental reason for loneliness. People separated from God. So the acute need is identified in a beautiful biblical word. It's called reconciliation or reconciled. I'll just give you one quick example from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing unto them their trespasses, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We then are the ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. See, five times he talks about reconciliation. Reconciliation is a beautiful, beautiful idea and a beautiful ideal. Sometimes the closest of friends can have disagreements, misunderstandings, and for a time be alienated from one another. But when apologies are made and they come back together and they're friends again, that's reconciliation. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes parents and children have serious, serious disagreements and problems. And so the children go their way and uh, kind of like a boy you read about in Luke 15 who went his way, you know. But his daddy still loved him, like parents today still love their children. Many years ago, I was in a meeting in Atlanta and was having dinner one evening in the home of the assistant fire chief who was a member of that particular congregation. And he told me that he had just come back from a meeting in uh, 
California. And uh, it was back when this Haight-Asbury thing was going strong and young people were fleeing to California to find, I guess, life. And uh, we were talking about that. And I said, uh, don't, don't folks in California try to locate the people back east and, and let those parents know where their children are? He said, well, I, I discussed that with some of them. They said, sure, we, if we can find out where this young woman or this young man is from, we'll, we'll call their parents. And he said, you wouldn't believe how many times the parents will say, well, they've got to find out what life is all about sometime. It may as well be now. I couldn't believe that. I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If I had a son or daughter out there, if I had to, I would try to crawl to California to get them. And you would too, because we love our children. But sometimes parents and children have serious disagreements and they part their ways. But when they are reconciled, when they come back and the tears of joy of forgiveness are experienced, that's a, that's a precious moment in life, surely, for a lot of folks. And then sometimes husbands and wives are alienated with all of the heartache and heartbreak. But when that is resolved and there's a reconciliation, beautiful thing. But the most exciting, enriching reconciliation is when a person that God has created that has walked away from God or has refused to acknowledge God in his or her life, when they are convinced by the truth of God through his word that God is a loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving God, and they throw their souls upon that mercy and humble obedience to the will of the Lord, and there is a reconciliation and their sins are no longer held against them. Their sins are no longer imputed. God just blocks them out. He remits them. He washes them away in the blood of the Lamb. That's a golden moment of life. And that is one way you really deal with the problem of loneliness. Because as long as God is your Father, you're not lonely. As long as Jesus Christ, His Son, is your Savior and representing you before the throne of God in heaven as your high priest, you're not lonely. As long as the promise of the Lord stands and it is as sure as God's eternal throne, Jesus said through one of His inspired writers, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And you've read that in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. So the way to start coping with the problem of acute loneliness is to be reconciled to God. Now, I want to rush over to a manifestation of loneliness. This may seem a little ironic, but... You know, Jesus was lonely one time. He really, really was. In that lengthy conversation he had with his apostles, just before Gethsemane, just before the farce of the trial, just before the scourging, just before Golgotha, start in John 14, read all the way through 16, and there it is. And you come down to verse 32 of chapter 16. He's just about ready to end the conversation. He said... The hour cometh, yea, 
has now come. When every one of you will be scattered, each to his own way, and will leave me alone. Will leave me alone. He said, but I'm not alone because the Father is with me. To me, this is one of the sad, sad insights into the life of our Lord. He tried to prepare these chosen ones for it. I mean, here were the men that had been with him for a little over three years. They had heard him speak the beautiful words of life. They had watched him feed the hungry by miraculously multiplying food. Some of them were present when he gave Jairus' little 12-year-old daughter who had died, gave her back to life to Jairus. Uh, they were with him when he resurrected the widow of Nain's son. They were with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, although Lazarus had been in that tomb for four days. And, they were, they were there when Bartimaeus said, uh, Lord, that I may receive my sight, and Jesus cured the blind man. I mean, and here they are, and he tried to tell them. Now, you're going to be scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Well, Peter said, I won't. I'm, I'm not going to leave you. These may forsake you. He said, I am not going to leave you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Then you read Mark 14, and there's that sad line. When that mob came for him out in the Garden of Gethsemane and apprehended him, Mark says about his chosen ones, they all forsook him and fled. There he was in the hands of a bunch of cutthroats. Where are these chosen? Surely they're with no, they, they've run away. Have you ever in your life been in a situation where say you were you were really really sick and somebody cared enough just to stay with you sat with you for a long time back in uh, 79 i had some rather serious surgery in st thomas hospital in nashville was hospitalized for 18 days didn't know until about five years ago they weren't even sure they were going to pull me through. I'm glad they didn't tell me at the time. They would not have pulled me through. I would have died of heart failure probably. But that first night, I'm telling you, there I was with uh, two tubes coming out of my right side, one out of my left side, and it looked like a garden hose coming out of my stomach, and all the IVs and all the paraphernalia. The late Brother Harold Birch, God bless his memory, sat by my bed all night long. Now, he was an attorney there in Nashville, but he was also an elder in God's church where I worked. The next night, Mike Boyette, a young man, I'd known Mike's wife since she was a little girl, Mike Boyette sat by my bedside all night long. Those fellows didn't leave me alone. Now, as I have said, Harold Birch and Mike Boyette took the pen of Christian love and wrote their names in my heart in indelible ink. Surely it would have meant something to Jesus if those apostles had stayed right with him. While that mob is going to ridicule him and slap him and spit on him, 
If, if, if they had been there and, and at least once, don't do that to the Son of God. They're gone. Where were they during the scourging? Which the converted Jewish scholar Alfred Edashim has called the intermediate death because sometimes victims died from the scourging. Where were they? When they are beating him in a way you would not dare beat an animal until his back is becoming a mass of torn, bleeding tissue, why didn't some of those apostles say, Enough! Stop it! Beat me! If you have to beat somebody, where are they? He's alone. He is alone. And I know while he's dying on the cross, some of them are they're looking on over there somewhere. Why weren't they at the foot of that cross weeping? There were people at the cross. What were they doing? Mocking, ridiculing. Can you just hear that jeer? If you're the Son of God, come down off the cross and we'll believe you. You saved others, let's see you save yourself. May I tell you what you would have done that day if you'd been there at the foot of that cross? I know the heart of Alabama people. You would have wept. We all would have wept. But here's the Savior dying for us. And the people that should have been clinging to him at that cross they're not. Now we come down quickly to talk about how we can cope with loneliness. Some people have animals that help them in loneliness, and, and I would be the last person on earth to criticize them. If I weren't gone so much, I would have me a little dog. I really would. Wouldn't be fair to the little animal. I'd have to take him to the vet all the time, keep him for me while I'm gone. So I'm, I'm not critical of people. People have dogs, they have cats, they have birds. Some folks even have snakes. I can't, I can't read that one, but you know, if, if that's what brings them a measure of comfort, fine with me. I would just urge them to be extremely careful if it happens to be a copperhead or a rattlesnake. But that's their privilege. But I don't believe that a person can be fully and completely fulfilled with an animal. Adam couldn't. That's why God made a woman for him. God had all those creatures, but among all of the creatures, there was nothing to really fulfill Adam. To cope with loneliness, may I recommend to you the family of God? Become a part of the family of God? I mean, a real part of the family of God. And you know what the family of God is. You've read 1 Timothy 3.15 too, when Paul said... If I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. As long as you are in God's family, you have family. I've known one or two people who personally told me they had outlived all of their children and all of their relatives, and one or two said, the only family I have left is, is God's family. 
One elderly lady said she had outlived all of her friends, and she said, I'm just pretty sure they're over, in, over there in heaven thinking I went to the other place. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you are in God's family, you have family. And we have in God's family the ideal father. Now, my children can tell you I'm not the ideal father. But I think they can all tell you there's one thing that they know old dad has for them, that's unconditional love. That's true. I love them like you love your children. But God's the ideal father. God knows us. He accepts us. He loves us in his son. And we are very special and important people to almighty God. We're his children. We are his heirs. We're joint heirs with his son. And as long as you are an active part of God's family, you have family. Now, another way to really cope with loneliness was suggested by a gentleman that, and this is, is amazing to me, how he says you try to deal with it. He says, um, it's nothing new to be lonely. It comes to all of us sooner or later. If we try to retreat from it, we end in a darker hell. But if we face it, if we remember that there are a million others like us, if we reach out, please listen to this line now, if we reach out and try to comfort them and not ourselves, we find in the end that we are no longer lonely. <laughs> you know, you just do good. Read Galatians 6. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, but what are we to do? As we have opportunity, let's do good. I know a widow lady who on an average sends out 34 cards every week to people. Some that are living alone, some where death has just come, some that are sick, some that are shut in. But this is just her way of reaching out. I understand she visits folks also, but this is her way. Uh, she lost her spouse to a malignancy. And this is one way she copes. She's just involved in trying to cheer up other people. A lot of you knew the late Ben Brownlow. Ben and Louise were special people in my life. All of you that knew Ben knew what happened to him over in Huntsville, the accident that left him with a wheelchair existence but they couldn't take away from him his sense of humor. I got a birthday card from Ben one time. I got several birthday cards from him through the years, but on, I got one, and it was not in an envelope, just one of those flat cards. And he said, P.S., use the enclosed $5 gift certificate as you please. <laughs> he kept his sense of humor. And... Um, he reached out to other people. And I know a man that's been flat of his back in a hospital bed for a little over 12 years. He calls himself the horizontal preacher. He, he reaches out to other people. If you want to cope with loneliness, reach out. Reach up to God by becoming a part of his family. Reach out to other lonely people, and you will be amazed at how quickly you cope with the problem of loneliness. I want to end with something, and I'm, I'm indebted to Alan Webster for this. 
James Lee was a young Chicago father who called a newspaper reporter to say that he had sent a manila envelope containing his story and that he was going to shoot himself. The reporter frantically tried to trace the call, but it was too late. The police arrived to find Lee slumped in a tavern phone booth with a bullet in his head. They also found a worn child's crayon drawing. And on it was written, please leave in my coat pocket. I want to have it buried with me. It was signed in childish print by his daughter Shirley, who had died in a fire five years or five months before. Lee had been so grief-stricken he had asked strangers to attend her funeral so she would have a nice service. He said that there was no family to attend since her mother had died when Shirley was two. The heartbroken father told the reporter that all he had in life was gone. He felt so alone. He gave his modest estate to the church Shirley had attended and said, maybe in 10 or 20 years, someone will see the plaque and wonder who Shirley Ellen Lee was and say, someone must have loved her very much. There are a lot of lonely folks in this world and the person this day that you speak to, whose hand you shake, speak a word of encouragement. I'm, I'm talking about at this, at this gathering. That very person may need what you can give them. Just a friendly greeting, a way of saying, you are important to me. If you're ever lonely, I submit to you Look at God's way of coping. Identify with him and reach out to others. And I promise you will find comfort and you will find assurance. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.